Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters Podcast. This is episode 116. You've got Chris and Brian, and this time around, we're going to talk about shooting pistols um, at speed and things we did to increase efficiencies, uh, particularly pertaining to the draw stroke and getting hits rapidly on target. Yeah, I uh, I, I enjoyed this night um, probably as much as anything we've done here recently. And, and that's even without performing. I wasn't super happy with anything that I did. Um, the and, and we'll get into explaining the drills in a second. But the putting the time pressure on the movement part, not the shooting part, um, I think is really something that we see a lot. So as we describe that drill, I'll get further into that comment. Uh, but it's something that we see a lot. And I felt like this night drove home the urgency of the draw stroke and then the critical nature of pressing the shot and putting it where it goes. Because we saw lots of failures, but under pretty rough time constraints. Um, and, and when I say failures, I'll, I'll, I'll use, and I know, fail or not, whatever. Um, do or, you know, there is no try, right? Only do. Um, but there were a lot of near misses. There are a lot of, uh, a lot of like, just so damn close kind of misses that I think were pretty fun to watch. Because it made everybody hungry to try it again versus dumping poor, poor shots and being frustrated. Yeah. So, because even as, I mean, I was just smoked for the day, and I'm still like, ah, it's so freaking close. Let's do it again. <laughs> That's so freaking close. Let's do it again. So, I enjoyed it. So, cool. Let's let lead off. Yeah, so the drill, um, relatively straightforward drill. So, everything from concealment, um, we had B8, tar- B8 repair center targets posted. Um, the goal was to hit, you know, one round in the black of the B8 target. Um, and we did this from 25 yards, 20 yards, 15 yards, 10, and then 5 yards. Um, but the the thing we did differently probably than we've ever done before is we had set part times on the timers for a second and a half. And the goal was to get to the extension on the draw strike, so the four position, and um, less than, you know, one and a half. Um, and then to take the time you needed after that to refine the sight picture and you know, get a clean shot so that you've, you put the round in the black on the B8. Yeah. And that the, the getting to the getting to the four, um, you know, in the second and a half was what I was, what I alluded to at the beginning of this, the sense of urgency around that conversation is a lot of times when you see guys at, at five yards, man, it's that smoke and skin and it draw stroke. They're on it. They're ripping the shirt up. They're running the gun out fast. But as soon as they get back to where they know they've got to slow down to take the shot, they slow down the draw too. And and so I thought this drove the urgency of it shouldn't matter what distance you're at, what you're getting to the four, getting to your extension, finger on the trigger, and you've committed to make the shot should all happen in the same amount of time, whether you're whether you're at five yards or whether you're at 50 yards, quite honestly. And and we just don't see that. We see a lot of guys lackadaisical or trying to find the perfect grip and all that stuff that you should already have nailed down in a second and a half draw stroke, like trying to go perfecter or whatever and and taking more time than and you may or may not have that time. Um, I think if you talk about bullet travel distance, um, the time of travel for a bullet going five yards versus 50 yards might as well be the same thing when it's going to hit you. Um, so I like the sense of urgency built into that. I thought that was a great thing to bring to the table, especially at 25 yards. But then to tell everybody, take the time they needed to make the shot. Um, I don't know why. Some did that better than others. And, yeah, and, and I failed that. I mean, I failed miserably. I mean, I, I had all my targets were on, all my hits were on paper. Um, but they, but I think I only made, I think I only made one in the black out of the first five. 
Um, and it like took a few seconds to hear, get the gun out, get it out to the four count by the part-time one and a half second beep, and then do whatever refining you have to do. And for me, it wasn't necessarily refining the sights. I felt like I was where I needed to be. It was not being an idiot and not slapping the trigger, trying to push things too fast. Because the reality check is I'd say everybody who stretched it out to um, 2.25 to 2.8 seconds, 2.75 seconds, yeah. everybody who gave things that extra quarter second to half second of time made the hit at 25 yards. Maybe not every hit, but made a lot more hits. And that's We're definitely on the in, inside the circles on the repair side. Exactly. A lot tighter. So, um, but I, I just think that's something that, that, the sense of urgency to get the gun out. Um, if your gunfight's at 50 yards and the guy shooting at you has a sh you know poop in a group, um, you could be in serious trouble if you decide to make a, a two and a half second draw stroke and then still take three seconds to make the shot. Now we're talking almost six seconds versus staying in that you know sub two second draw and maybe the shots a skosh slower. So I thought that drove that home. Plus I really like doing the dry fire. We did each of these. We did ten dry fire reps before we did five live reps. And I think the dry fire reps, we've got a pretty squared away group of guys. And every once in a while, you'd hear somebody chuckle and go, oh, yeah, that was uh, slap that one or man, push that one high or did whatever. And when you've got guys that can see, you know, can see that. And, and I do think a lot of learning to call your shots, you do under dry fire. I think if you don't dry fire, you're missing out on a, on a free opportunity to learn where was the front sight or the dot exactly when I pressed the shot off. And I think that. After the first round, I think that got everybody kind of calmed down from that perspective. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Going to 20, I think, honestly, the best groups that we saw per distance, per angular standards, were probably at 15 and 20 yards. A lot of guys were trying to figure it out at 25 and going a little too fast, slowed down just enough at 20 and 15 to probably shoot their best angular groups. And then at 5 and 10 yards got trying to go fast again and drop the shot where they probably shouldn't have dropped the shot kind of deal. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I enjoyed that set a, a lot. That was a lot of work without necessarily a lot of bullets. And I probably took more out of that than anything else. So that we've done in a while. So that's pretty good stuff. I liked it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It was definitely mentally fatiguing to yeah. be under those kind of time pressures for that long. Uh, Cause that was 70. If you did all the reps, exactly all the reps is 75 yeah. Presentations. Yep. Um, even though it was only twenty-five live rounds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a. I thought that was a pretty intense set of drills. Pretty intense training session. Just that alone. So. Uh, one other thing we we sort of noticed is you know every five yards equated to about a quarter second in yep. time. Yeah. Um, as far as being able to go faster, you know, at five yards, I think most of many of us were breaking the shot like right around one. In the low 1.4s? Yeah, you were you were consistently under one and a half. Um, generally, my draw stroke, my like my my fast consistent draw strokes, one six to one eight from concealment. Um, I run because I'm fat and carry appendix. I run a little deeper than most folks do, depending on which gun. If I'm running with the light, then the gun rides the handle rides a little bit higher in the Gotham, um, and so I run the Gotham generally around one five one six. Um, the Raven Concealment Eidolon that I run, I run it a little bit lower um, because it conceals better without the light on it. Um, if I run it a little bit lower, it just it, it rides better, it rides where it's supposed to. But it's a little bit slower on the draw stroke because you're not getting that perfect wraparound grip on the gun. 
um, but it hides the gun. I can carry a full uh, G19 with a T-shirt on, and literally nobody knows. Um, so there's a little bit of a trade-off, and we, Brian and I had a conversation about that as well. You know, everything's a compromise, right? So, I mean, perfect grip versus concealability. And for me, I feel like I've got to have the gun concealed when I'm out in the world, and I want to wear that gun. Yeah. I could probably go to a smaller gun, but then that brings a whole other set of compromises along with it. And so having to dig a little deeper and work a little harder to get the gun out, I'll take that little bit of slowdown because the reality check, I think, is when you start looking at the data around concealed carry shoots, um, concealed carry permit holders and shoots, is that the vast, there are very few of those are under the beep, under, you know, under that time constraint. It's more about picking the right time to get the gun out and doing it surreptitiously than it is doing it fast. So yeah. that's my trade-off on that. That's, and I'm not using that as an excuse. Almost everyone, I shouldn't say that, half the group was easily faster and running sub one fives, which is pretty cool from concealment to make a hit on basically a softball size target. Even at five yards, that doesn't sound like a big deal until you try and do it. So good reps. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. One, you know, with this drill, if you're going to do it, um, recommend doing it. So you got daylight to do the whole thing. Yeah. The whole sequence, um, the whole sequence took, we had two relays, uh, took about an hour to get everybody through it. Yeah. Um, the last, the last uh, the last relay at five yards, um, definitely losing daylight quickly. Yeah, yeah, there was um, twilight. Still, a, still enough to, to yeah. get good contrast on the target. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other takeaways on this. I, one? I would say that the other thing too is you got to that that there's there is something to be said for being out on the range, not just in the dark or not just in the day, but in that twilight time too. Um, some of our optics, we've had this conversation specifically around the Trichcon RMRs. Um, the, the RMR 06 type two, um, and the hollow suns have an auto adjust feature and you will get effect from things like muzzle blast and stuff like that, which actually affected me on the next drill. Um, when we got into shooting the first six shots fast, um, but up close, it wasn't a big deal on the one shot. Um, but it's one of those things too, where that twilight time electronic devices that adjust to light. I don't, I don't know if they struggle or if I struggle or whatever the case may be. I didn't have an issue finding it, and I think I dropped one shot because I was stupid and trying to go too fast. It wasn't because I didn't pick up the dot up or whatever. Um, but be aware that that, with your sights as well, we had a couple guys who said normally, you know, the orange dot of death. I, I see the tritium roll well at that night, and then I see the orange roll well during the day. But at twilight, that, like, last 15 minutes to a half an hour of, of functionally usable light, um, things change. That's a great time to be on the range if you can make that happen. Um, you know, you just got to make sure you do it in a safe fashion because you're going to end up on the range finishing up in the dark and, and don't, don't, don't outrun your headlights, don't outrun your training wheels, whatever the case may be. Make sure that you're someplace you're allowed to do it and someplace you can do it safely and that, you know, you've got people with you monitoring what you're doing because we're all watching each other to make sure that things like reholstering, um, shirts weren't in the way, etc. Because in the dark, that all becomes feel, not sight. Yeah. So, you know, just double check everything once it starts to get hard to see. Yeah, the, the other big takeaway, you know, doing 75 draw strokes in a row like this, um, you really start to find efficiencies. Uh, you find problems with gear yep. or poor gear selection. Uh, we had one of, one of our guys um, has, I don't know, married, latched onto significantly um, a subpar light that has led to compromises in holster choice and just ran into trouble all night long. Yeah. Because um, the the holster he now has because of the light, because um, there aren't a lot of selections for that particular light, um, 
honestly couldn't get the gun out of the holster. Yeah, I, yeah, and I, and I don't know if that's like a break-in thing. And the thing is, is the holster is from a reputable holster, uh, holster manufacturer. It, it's a good holster. I'm not a fan. And I don't know, is that is that holster a hybrid, or does it just have it was, leather tabs for the belt? No, it was like a hybrid Kydex. Okay, because I was thinking that it was a full Kydex holster. The leather tabs were just for the belt attachment, not to retain the gun. So it seemed to me like the, the going back in the holster was fine, but there was something tweaky about that holster that needed adjusted on the draw stroke um, because the gun was sticking in the holster. The other thing that was happening was choice of outer garments and stuff like that too. The outer garment kept hanging up on the bottom of the holster, and I don't know if that's a function of the outer garment in the way this, this particular gentleman's carrying strong side right at 3 o'clock, not strong side deep. Um, and is grabbing shirt with his left hand or jacket, whatever, with his left hand, garment with his left hand and ripping it up. But I think as he was ripping it up, it was kind of coming forward too and coming under the holster and catching there. So there, there was a lot of, there were a lot of things going on in the way. So even once he was able to clear his garment, even though the garment fouled the draw a number of times, once he got it cleared, he was still fighting with the gun, like locking up. Yeah. And it almost seemed like maybe like the ejection port was molded. A little too deep rather than around the light where it should have been retaining or something because it was hanging on a lot and causing a boatload of problems but brand new holster subpar light combination and those are all things that we go on the range to figure out um and definitely learning occurred yeah. <laughs> uh, painful painful <laughs> gnashing of teeth learning occurred um but i do think that you know that leads to hey i'm gonna go get this combination fixed um, and, and this is something where, you know, we're the, our group of guys is, is pretty tight. Our tribe's pretty tight. And, uh, and, and there was, there was some crap being given, um, because this was a situation where it's like, well, I have, I have this old light and these guys make a holster for it versus there might be a better solution for lighting that might lead to a better holster com conversation too. Um, and then going from there. So, and yes, we're picking on you, John, only cause we love you. So, yeah. yep. Uh -huh. If for anybody else uh, listening, if you're looking for a light that doesn't go past the muzzle on a G19, um, Streamlight makes the excellent TLR7A. Yep. Um, they do it um, with the, the really cool um, push button tabby switches on the back. Yeah. Um, they also do a version now with an integrated uh, pressure pad on the, on the handle that you can activate with your middle finger um, that also has little tabby switches on the back of the light. So you can run it however you want. And those will work with the Raven uh, parent. Oh, okay, very cool. So OWB with the parent 7A, and specific, that's right, TLR 7A yeah. specifically compatible as an OWB um, strong side holster. And, and that, and, and I do, I really do like that holster a lot as an OWB, like going hiking and stuff like that. Um, I've got one, you know, for a couple different guns. Um, I don't have that light combo at this stage of the game, and that may actually be a conversation. Um, if, if you know of someone out there who's making a inside the waistband specifically, and then even more specifically, preferably an appendix IWB holster for a G19 TLR 7A or, or, a, or any, any number of other guns, but primarily the Glock 19s, that's what a lot of us run. I would be super curious to know if you've got that combination, you're running it, what you think of it and who it's from. So if you happen to be in the shop, stop in and love to have that conversation because that's something I'm looking for. And I'm not finding it yet, so I'm going to play around with that. Yeah, yeah. That 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 light is enough light. So cool. Yeah. Um, that concludes the uh, don't think this rig part of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry for stealing that, Greg. He probably owe you a quarter or something. So um, the the next the next drill we did is is something from from these like crazy former D boy guys. Um, 
And as Brian was explaining this X-ray alpha drill and all that, you name it and all that fun stuff, um, about half of our group to two thirds of our group was kind of like rolling their eyes like, yeah, right. Um, as it turned out, while we didn't have what I would call data specific or statistical success on the drill, I think a boatload was learned um, around running the gun really hard, pretty damn fast in the dark, um, because that's what this became was, okay, I'm right there. I'm right there. I think, so I'll let you explain the drill yeah. and then I'll, I'll tell you what I got out of it. So other than I suck. Yes. Yeah, so this, um, this drill is called MXAD, uh, which stands for Matt X-ray alpha drill. Um, yep. and it comes from Matt Pranka at X-ray alpha. Um, you can find it in the Ben Stoger, um, book of drills. Uh, it's, it's really simple. Um, you have two targets that are basically um, horizontally placed right next to each other. Shoulder to shoulder. Except that the first target's at five yards. Um, the second target is at 12 yards. Uh, on the beep, you shoot six rounds into the A zone of the first target. And then you shoot two rounds into the A zone of the second target. Um, you shoot it from concealment. And... Yeah, it's actually really hard. Yeah, there's a four-second part-time. Yeah, yeah the four-second part-time. There's time. a four-second part-time, which is the – the drill's really easy until you throw a four-second part-time onto it, and then it becomes interesting, right? So, yeah, I think, honestly, if we'd had daylight, um, might have been a good bit easier uh, because now, you know, you've got to get the light on. If you've got a light, if you don't have a light, you got to use the force to make the, the sight scale where you think they're supposed to. Yep. Uh, and – Honestly, I think pairing this drill up with the stuff we'd done earlier in the night um, mentally just kind of messed up with messed a lot of people up. You know what? I think I honestly think it was a perfect progression in training, but it did create some dissonance working through you know the single shot, single shot, single shot, single shot, get the gun out fast, and you know. But then you're transitioning to essentially a build drill. And yep. then a transition to another target and two two quick shots as fast as you can make them at twelve yards. Um, it, so the, the observations that we had, I, I'd be really curious to know. Taking X-ray Alpha, the guy, taking Matt out of the conversation, I'd be I'd like to see where this is being run in their training regimen. If it's being run daylight, if it's being run dark, or both, or whatever. I'm sure he can do it like blindfolded with his big toes tied together and everything. Yeah. Um, but I'd be curious to know where they're using this, what success rates look like, what kind of scoring they're getting on it. And it is a pass fail drill. I mean, you're either under four seconds and clean or not. Um, I, 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 I was smoked at this point mentally. And when we went to that, um, I dropped, I ran it in like five, eight and dropped <laughs> two shots or something like that. And they were up close, not at distance. And then the second time I ran it, I ran it at like four, eight, five. Um, and it felt like I was crawling at four, eight, five. And, but ran it clean, and, and I was done. I'm like, screw it. I'm not running anymore. I think everybody else ran it three or four times, at least on our side. Yeah, my side ran – we ran four times. Yeah, and we had a couple of our guys run um, – you know, Mac J pushed through a, a number of sub-three-second runs, um, essentially point shooting, um, and, and but the only issue was there was a drop shot every single time. Um, the other thing that we picked up on, his transition – from five yards to 12 yards was what he felt like in the, as fast as he shoots, his cadence seemed super, super slow. Of course, he's shooting jail baits. He's running one, seven, one, eight splits, one, nine splits, um, on the first six shots. 
but his transition to the second target, what felt like forever to him and to us listening. And, and, and so he was losing the time there. The interesting part was that he was way under time. And as good as he shoots, if he just slowed down a tick, he probably would have burned it down. He probably would have cleaned it. Um, the other guy on our side, uh, the other Brian, um, ran that and was, was under time a number of times. But the cadence he was shooting was just a little bit slower for the six shots. And the transition to the far target and those two shots all sounded like eight. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, I mean, it was like the cadence was dead nuts perfect. But but both of those guys dropped like one shot every flipping time. And the one shot drops were within an inch. I mean, they were so close. But they were both well under the four seconds, comfortably under the four seconds, especially Mac J. He was running sub threes. Um, so it's interesting to see that because when you first described the grill, that, that drill and, and it's like, oh, part time is four seconds. I'm like, <laughs> right. No. Um, and what he was thinking the dark into account, you know, just like, holy crap, that's fast. Holy crap. It is fast. Um, it's also very doable because you did it. Yeah. So I, I ran it four times. Um, I shot it clean. One of the times I shot it clean was like a four, six. And then the last time I did it, uh, I did it clean in three, I think it's three, nine, one. Yeah. Uh, I use yep. my light every time I ran the drill, um, which I say would add probably 0.3 to 0.4 on the draw stroke. Yeah, um, and I and and I would say for me it wouldn't because I'm running the DG switch. I don't it probably wouldn't D- change. DG yeah, switch. well, you generally don't need to because you have hands the size of a freaking orangutan. But um, we won't get into that. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And and in that comment came up later too. Um, there was again we're we're post twilight, but there was just enough contrast to run the drill. I wonder if running it in daylight where you had just a little better visual acuity yeah. because the two guys who were way under time but kept dropping a shot were running iron sights. Um, and then and weren't running lights. And weren't running lights. So, I mean, you know, it was uh, it was, it was pretty interesting. And I think that speaks – and, I, again, I, I, and, and I'll apologize to, to those two right now because, like I said, I, I ran it a couple times, and when I ran a clean sub five, I knew I wasn't going to get to four, and I just – I walked away. I was done. Um and so that, that part of the conversation, if those guys made it, sorry for not saying you made it, um, I just didn't see it. Um, but it was pretty telling how close everyone was because I think we only had, what, one or two guys that were over five seconds. Everybody else was really, was not that far off of four seconds. And a number of guys ran it clean. They just ran it clean over time. And, you know, over yeah. time, over time and with a miss doesn't count. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, the the times i've seen this drill on the igs and whatnot it's usually it's always been in the daylight yeah um, it's usually in the context of like a stoger i uspsa class yeah or you know prank does a lot of le training yeah um, but it's got sort of a call it a uspsa kind of competition mindset twist to it yes at least as far as saying you know hey like you can't leave accuracy or speed on the table you know if you leave either one somebody else is gonna eat it for lunch yep um, and probably you with it. Yeah. And one of the things I will say also that makes this a, a little bit, it, that, that defines it as a drill, um, is is the, the push is to stay loose to make the transition. Because if you make the transition slow, you're not going to make the drill. Almost period. I mean, unless you shoot like a god. I would say that anybody who's a, uh, I don't think you have to be a GM to shoot this clean. I, I think you need to be a solid shooter with good fundamentals because the build drill means am I holding onto the gun or not. Um, and then you've got to be able to make a clean efficient transition and make two decent shots the 12 yard shots aren't a big deal in an a zone either that should be a double for most people yeah. with the skills um you know so i would say in the daylight 
that this is going to be this would define you as a competent shooter, not as a god. Yeah, and this yeah. is not a like a race scan drill either. No, you know, no, Brink no. is shooting this. I think with a G seventeen. Yep, um, it's probably got a bazillion rounds on it, but it's yeah. a G seventeen. Yeah, yeah, um, and he is a GM, but I mean, you know, again, the teachable points for this, I think, a lot of it is is putting everything together. But the big thing that he that he mentions, you said in like the description, is staying loose in the shoulders so that you can make the transition and not overswing the transit the transition. Um, and I will say too, the first time I ran it. Um, I set up offset on the targets enough. I, I should have been more, I should have been visually adjusting where I was standing to make the targets closer together because I had a decent gap the first run. And then once I realized, oh, they're supposed to be shoulder to shoulder for a tight transition, that was what yielded my best time before I said, screw it, and, and you yeah. know, walked away. So uh, really cool drill, I think. I, I would put this in the same league as like a fast drill, um, but it is a drill. So when you start talking about, you know, we had some guys bring up, well, you know, should you, you know, if this was the real world, it, this is not the real world. It's a drill. Shoot it as a drill. It's, it's, it's just one of those things to help define where you're at at that moment in time and then keep track of that. Yeah. Yeah. This some, I, and I would like to come back to that when Ambo's not so freaking expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Part, part of one of the reasons why this drill got paired up with otherwise a very low ammo expenditure. Yeah. Uh, set exercise in the beginning of the night. Yeah. Uh, one other thing that we did, um, we didn't tape the hits on our side, um, except for on the far target, we did tape the hits Okay. because we had a number of shooters, uh, trying to go too fast and not hitting the far target. Oh, um, yeah. So that was yeah. kind of eye opening. Yeah. Um, you got to get rounds on target. Um, uh, and then one of the other takeaways from that, um, uh, we know ammo is hard to get. Ammo is expensive. Uh, ammo comes in vastly differing qualities. Yeah. Um, you know, you get your premium self-defensive ammo, uh, call it quality training ammo. And then you got the stuff that it goes bang. Um, it gives you maybe decent data at five yards, but you start pushing out much past that and you're probably not going to get good data. Um, one of our guys has gotten, I don't know what it is. Um, it was cheap when he got it and somehow he found it. Yeah. He may have found it a long time ago, and he's using it up now because it's all he's got. Um, but it seems to actually be a little slow. So what, he's, what we think is happening is the, you know, a Browning tilting lockup gun like a Glock or a 1911. Um, the barrel's actually starting to unlock and tilt up before the bullets left the muzzle. Yeah. Uh, so again, at five yards, rounds yeah. are going where we're supposed to. But you know, we get to a target out past you know 10, 15, 20 whatever, um, where that round is going is probably not where he's aiming. And I'm going to throw out a second possibility on that. Um, dodging back and forth between a 1911-style gun. Uh, what the hell is that thing called? The staccato. Uh, running a staccato, the mini staccato, whatever it is. A um, little more vertical grip angle, things like that. Then switching over to a G48, which has a Glock grip angle, um, could also lead to one of those things where up close... You're driving into the gun hard enough and you're close enough that it doesn't matter. There's still good enough hits on an A zone or on a B8. But when you start punching that out to 12 or 15 yards, all of a sudden that the grip angle when you're trying to point shoot in a lower light environment and maybe you're not being as hardcore on the sights because it's a fairly easy target at a fairly easy distance led to pushing the gun high and not accounting for grip angle. Yeah. Maybe. Although, maybe. Like, the Samo shot high in the 48 and in the mini staccato. Okay. Fair enough. I didn't realize you ran the staccato, so 
Yeah, well, he's running the 48 this time. He's running the, the Staccato at previous events. Okay. Same ammo, and it's always shot significantly okay. high. Okay, interesting. Okay, um, then, I'll, then I, I retract my statement. Yeah, so if you are switching the ammo and stuff around, um, you know, it's not doing what you're, what you're expecting, um, you know, especially at distance. You know, take the time, you know, drive through three or five rounds, you know, get, get seated or braced or really take your time. Find out what that ammo is doing from a point of aim, point of impact standpoint. Yeah, um, yeah. Because you don't want to develop bad habits of compensating for what's actually an ammo problem. Or, um, or adjusting your sights because you think that, you know, yeah. the gun's shooting someplace it's not, and then find out when you put good ammo on it, now it's doing something different. So, yeah, we're, there's definitely, we're definitely seeing some heartburn around crap ammo out there, um, especially ammo that was purchased um, immediately following COVID, going like pre-riots or going into the riots. Uh, a lot of the manufacturers like jumped on board, some of the small guys jumped on board, and they were cranking out some crap, it would appear, because there's definitely seen some of that yeah same thing if you're rolling your own ammo um bullet selection matters yeah uh, i've got some 115 grain um plated stuff that again shoots great at five yards is acceptable at 10 um becomes a knuckleball at 25 yeah yeah um you know and it is really frustrating to train with you know once you start to step things out yeah because you really don't get any training value out of it yeah it's fun to blaze away with if you're up close or shooting steel up close. Yeah. Um, but start shooting paper for groups at you know distance, and all of a sudden it's a, a big question of am I doing something wrong? Is yeah. the gun doing something wrong? You know what's happening? Um, and that that actually took a couple of years ago. You know time to figure out. Sure. And those sure. bullets have now gotten delegated to this is just. Oh, we're gonna blaze away at stuff up close. Okay, I'll put those in some mags. Yeah, more around the movement stuff than the technical shooting drills. So, well, another thing too is at some intermediate distance, um, that that might be something that's a drop shot. So you start talking about a B8 at 15 or 20 yards, um, maybe that's a miss. That's points on one of the timed score drills or untimed yeah. score drills. That becomes a conversation. And so if you have to segregate your ammo in that fashion, figure out what's what, figure out what's acceptable. And I would, I guess, the analogy I would use. Um, if you have, you know, pistol ammo that shoots somewhere different than what you carry, that's cool. Just understand it. And to me, it's like running a 22 LR conversion kit in your AR. Understand that it's going to do a little bit different things and it's going to have some training limitations. I'm not going to train on a hundred yard target with a 22 conversion kit, uh, on, on any reasonable size, small target, um, that would be challenging at all with a 22, unless I sat down and wanted to re-zero on all of the BS. And that's not what I use the 22 conversion kit for. I use it for 50 yards and in more training what I'm doing, tactics and procedures and techniques with the gun, not necessarily pure accuracy shooting. That makes sense. Yeah. So same kind of conversation. Understand, you know, that's it's a tool. Your ammo is a tool. So grab the right toolbox depending on what you're doing if you have a differential there. Understand it. So, yeah. And you'll only find that out if you get out and train. Huh. Yeah. So get out and train, I think, maybe might be the moral of the story there. Yeah, so. same thing when you get out and train. You know, shoot paper targets from time to time. Yep. Keep track of your hits. Keep track yep. of your misses. Paste. Um, yeah, paste. paste. Score. Um, it's embarrassing. It sucks sometimes. Um, last the, uh, Monday night sucked for me. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I guess if I sat back and looked at what that would be effective hits on a on a person target at those distances, all those shots were great shots. Yeah, everything um, was C zone or yeah, better. Yeah, everything way. Yeah, way. Um, and but it still sucked. Um, 
because there's there's more there. And like I said, just literally that quarter second made all the difference because the shots dropped in when I took it and didn't when I didn't. So um, another cool thing from that too, a lot of guys were calling their shots. I know we were talking about calling shots on dry fire. A lot of guys were calling their shots going fast too. And that was, most of our guys do that, but it was nice to hear people going, Bloop, high right. <laughs> and then walk down. Yep. <laughs> you know, so yeah. yeah, good stuff. Yeah. I like I said, I thought that was a great training night. I thought it was a great progression. So cool stuff. Cool. Yeah. Uh, on that note, um, as we find training drills and things, uh, we try to post them to our social, social media channels. Um, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram, search for Cap City Outfitters. Um, we also do an email newsletter once a week where we talk about training, um, things like that. You can sign up for the newsletter on our website, capcityoutfitters.com, or drop us an email to info at capcityoutfitters.com. We'll happily add you to the newsletter list. Uh, also on our website, you can find valuable information such as how to do an FFL transfer or how to purchase a suppressor via our storefront over at silencershop.com. Um, lastly, you know, we are definitely still open, um, fighting the good fight against Sleepy Joe, who can't seem to make it up the stairs. <laughs> um, you can visit us in Hilliard, Ohio. We're at 4465 Cemetery Road, uh, arming the masses. Um, we're doing it from 10 to 5, Tuesday through Saturday. We'll see you soon. Thanks, guys.